everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel we call the Marvel Mailbag. And this is our sixth time to sit down and look at everything you've been saying about what we've been saying about the comics from Marvel in the 1960s. Um, we it's we went quite a while without any of these. We had one out a month or so back, and now we've got another one because we love you that much. That's right. And we're getting behind, so we better make another one. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw somebody on Twitter tweet recently once um, – those of you out there in podcasts who like to shoot the shit as a preamble before you get into your stuff, can you put a timestamp for your actual stuff for those of us who don't care? So wow. we're just going to dive right in. <laughs> I don't think we preamble that much, but no, we you know. really don't. We, we, we're, I think we're pretty good about just getting right into stuff. Yeah. But okay. Stuff. April 1st, right? That's where we left off. We did. Now there were a few things that were posted over on oh. Facebook that I forgot to look at last time. So I was going to mm-hmm. read some of those here real quick. Yep. yep. Um, all right. So let's see on the episode 41, which is where we were talking about um, Peter Parker faking, uh, faking photos for the electro storyline. Uh huh. Daniel Doherty wrote in and said, in this episode, you guys had a discussion about Peter Parker taking pictures of Spider-Man for profit and questioned the morality of that. Well, at this point, those Spider-Man photos are the only thing paying the bills. Mm -hmm. With Uncle Ben gone, Peter has become the de facto breadwinner. Mm -hmm. Granted, this gets a little sticky whenever Peter fakes photos like his fight with the Sandman. But in this case, the reason he took pictures that incriminated Spider-Man was because he desperately needed money for Aunt May's medicine not for some quick get rich quick scheme. And he says more, but let's talk about that for a second. Faking photos for money when you need it. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's tricky still because the laws, the law, I don't know. Like yeah. where's the, where's the moral there? And also we learned that about him when he uh, had to quit being Spider-Man. Now he had no income. Right. So that really, that really is his only income, but is it I don't one know. of those got to eat to live, got to steal to eat kind of things? <laughs> That's what I was – for some reason, I went to, to Jean Valjean, like, stealing a loaf of bread to feed his family. But, you know, it's still stealing? I don't know. Yeah. It, it is still stealing by, by the law. Yeah. Um, he says, oh, and as for that Webb's book that everyone likes to bring up, that was actually published without Peter's approval. Because of his work-for-hire contract, the Daily Bugle owns all those Spider-Man photos, not Peter. The publishers behind the book did finance Peter to go on a publicity tour, but he never got many royalties from the Webb's book. Ah, wow, that's horrible. That is kind of horrible. It's one of those things where you don't realize the implications of your contract when you sign it. Yeah, or that he never signed anything. I don't remember him signing contracts, but he may have. Um, yeah, I just remember those storylines where he was going around on tour with it, but I never realized he wasn't necessarily associated with it other than that. Interesting. It kind of reminds me of um, like a lot of the like Seagull Superman battles and stuff. You know, you you have this property that you've created and you sell it for $130 thing. That's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Five years later, the company you sold it to is making millions off of your idea and you're kind of like – um. Hi. <laughs> yes, but conversely, they also took all the risk. And if it didn't go well, then they would have lost money, right? Right. Yeah. And there's a whole so lot of debate to get into all, that. Cause, it's all hindsight is twenty twenty sometimes. Because you know, there's a whole element that they actually were paid pretty good salary for their work right. after that. But that's okay. Um, we're yeah. not here to rehash the Siegel uh, Superman no. case. No. Okay. Um, 
Just looking for a couple other things. We got a recommendation on Facebook from Gunter Schroeder. Uh, it's it's short, but it's sweet. He recommends Makers Marvel. Says great podcast. Hosts are very knowledgeable and likable. A must for any fan of classic Marvel comics. So that's very kind of you. Mm-hmm. And that catches our Facebook up to current. So let's let's do some emails. Okay. Well, first one is Bobby Bermia, right? Mm-hmm. It says Makers Marvel, the MMMS, Mary Marvel Marching Society, want you. And this came out or came out, came to us on April 1st. It says, just want to let you know that I've been listening to other Marvel podcasts while having to wait for you guys once a week. Let me tell you, not everyone can do what you do. You guys keep talking about one day hanging them up. All I can say is, I hope you don't. Oh, he uh, he tweeted at me recently. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Every time you mention maybe you won't do the podcast forever, I die a little inside. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, this is a good time to announce that we are quitting with episode 75. Yep, no. 75 is it, kids. <laughs> Superman dies. And then, and then after that, we're going to go daily. No. <laughs> oh. oh, God. That would be really hard. I'm just going to say it's a conceivable model to do five comics of, this, of coverage every week and just release them over the course of the week as a daily show. I have thought about it for like a solo project, but then I'm also like, God, that's real commitment. And you just can't miss a day if you call yourself daily, you know? Right. But so I've never done it, but I have thought about it. Like just sitting there recording really long one day a week and then eking it out over the week, over the days. Que- yeah. You queue them all up at one time. Uh huh. It would take, uh, it would take your coding time and quintuple it uh-huh. for your setting up the Facebook pages and everything. Yeah. Not Facebook no. pages, the, uh, the web pages. We'll just we'll just keep doing this whole like once a but, week thing. Yeah, it's an idea. It is definitely yeah. a thought. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so what's the date on next April seventh? I have court martial. Is that what you have? I have make ours Marvel. Congratulations from John Morrison. Oh. What's court martial dated? Court martial is April seventh at one fifty one p.m. Okay. Well, let's read John Morrissey first. Okay. He says. Congratulations and thank you. Take a bow for 52 weeks in a row. Thank you, gents. You have lots of fans and we really appreciate your dedication to our entertainment and education. Okay, I'm going to read these three issues and then listen to the episode. I'm sure I'll check in after I've listened. Thank you, John. Those are nice words. Everybody's so obsessed with 52 on this show, which is kind of traitorous, don't you think? (laughs) <laughs> if dc hadn't like mysticalized the number <laughs> we here at marvel do not care about the number 52 but thank we're you we're not going to celebrate till we get to episode 616 dang it that's the number 616 right. that'd be great um okay so next tim price court martial uh sure comments on episode 50 um it's great hearing from you guys it's great hearing you guys enjoying the Sergeant Fury comics. You'll, you're really tempting me to give them a try, but finding the time to spare, erg. Well, yeah, I enjoy them, but they are all kind of the same a little bit. So I don't know if you, if I would be like, yeah, you really have to read these. But I am happy that I've read them because I never have before. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. They're usually somewhat, they're usually at least a little bit fun. Certainly more fun yeah. than all the stuff we have to read. Right, right. Definitely not my least favorite title. Journey into Mystery, though has made the cut. That's just a great bonkers story. Various thoughts. Odin is way too powerful. Putting everyone human on Earth into limbo-like realm, even the Atlanteans. Did he move the animals too? Mosquitoes? Undersea life? The mind boggles. 
Um, yeah, I think we didn't like that either. But I think at the time they were just thinking of him as like a god god. Mm-hmm. And eventually he becomes like more just a really powerful character. Anyway, seeing pre-Simonson Surtur is pretty underwhelming. Simonson's version is the only one I've known gigantic with flaming red hair. So much more intimidating. Uh, Odin must be thinking, if I'd give Loki some responsibility, he'll come around. <laughs> it just doesn't learn. You know, that's one of those things in classroom management. Take your you know students who have a bit too much energy and like to misbehave and like give them responsibilities in the room. Uh-huh. And like that sounds good. Uh-huh. And it probably works for some kids. Yeah. But sometimes it's just but, like, wow, I don't know that, that they'd be able to do this without, you know, if the person's problem is talking, do you want to have them pass out paper where they can talk to everybody in the classroom? Uh-huh. Give them the keys to the fire extinguisher. Um, <laughs> how powerful is Loki that he can empower a giant against Odin, whom we've already established is hella powerful? That's been a great perspective from your show. It's easy to forget Loki is God-level powerful, too. He is a god. I usually just think of him as like a weird trickster guy, but he does seem to have an awesome level of magic. Um, I remember that Doctor Strange story where like even his – it wasn't even really him. It was like his avatar and that guy. And his avatar was far more powerful than than Doctor Strange. So Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, Odin's supposed to be all-father and all-powerful, the most powerful. Maybe Uh the most powerful except for Thor. I don't know. But Loki made a giant to like give him a run for his money. That's – Yeah. That's a lot. I actually read that I actually read that issue of X-Men in a reprint a long time ago. It may have been Amazing Adventures as it looked like this series split up the issues into two comics. I remember it had a backup featuring Cyclops first meeting Iceman. So here's a case where like he's talking about an X-Men book when I'm not sure which one he's talking about. Uh, yeah. But oh well, that happens. What is it with Marvel's father figures being the worst? I'm looking at you Professor X. What that was the blankiest of blank moves ever. Good job not dying today. Everyone gets chocolate pudding with dinner tonight. Wow. He's just wow. <laughs> this is the first time putting a comment on the website itself just to try it. Thanks, guys. Oh, that's why I have that there. Okay. I get them an email form. I forgot. Uh, so I don't know if we want to do that or go on to emails because then I have another one from him from comments too. Yeah, I, my next email is uh, April 12th, Trey Hooks, episode 53 opening. Okay. Well, I have an April 7th, another April 7th, Tim Price from this website. And then I have a John Morrissey, April 7th. That's just an email. So should we do those? Oh, okay. So I've got the comments on my screen on the comment page. This uh. is podcast, y'all. We don't edit these things. <laughs> We're just going to put it in here. Right. Um, so, okay. So April 7th, how do you pronounce Hall? Yes. I've got that. I can read it. Okay, go ahead. Okay. It's a good thing I'm not Giant Man, because I couldn't handle swallowing that many pills without water. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. How does he get all those down in the middle of a fight? Or do the pills change size when he does? I guess they'd have to, or they'd be enormous to his ant size. I'm feeling that pills are almost too realistic of a delivery model, and it'd be less intrusive to the story to make growing and shrinking just happen. Yeah, the swallowing thing is crazy. I think swallowing fast is even crazier, especially if life and death is on the line. I would never be able to do it. Which is why he really needs to give Jan the ability to change size mentally. Because she still doesn't have that. I also assume anything within his body must change size too. Because otherwise, like that hamburger he just ate a minute ago would stay the same size and kill him when he shrunk. Yeah, they talk about that in, um, in Ultimate. How like he eats food and then changes sizes and he's super hungry. 
uh-huh. where he's big and changes sizes and can't change for a while because he's digesting it, you know, 65 hamburgers or whatever. Wow. That's a little too real. I don't need yeah. that kind of I don't need that kind of detail. Just let him change. Anyway. He says, those lava men were sure hot stuff. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> I already bugged you guys about the dress up as Spider-Man trope before, but really I'm surprised it's back again. This is a major drawback to the whole body costume. And the Marvel Universe has some crazy good science classes where a special effects expert can duplicate spider powers. That would be really hard for us, but I guess every Walmart has discount wall crawling gear and basic webbing devices. <laughs> right. Usually a little uh, pneumatic pump that fits your wrist, you know? Yeah. But lest you think I'm just poking fun, it was a treat to read Mysterio's first story. His look is so ditko. I believe I first found him on the 60s cartoon, and for a guy without powers, he's managed to stay a credible threat for Spidey. Until Spidey finds himself caught between three Mysterios, make mine make ours Marvel. I think, like, if you weren't a Mysterio fan before that movie just came out, Mm -hmm. like, if you don't see him as a credible threat now, like, I don't know, because they really... That one scene where he just completely destroys Spider-Man. It's like, wow. Yeah. That's fighting Mysterio, everybody. That was pretty intense. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, let's see. Let's make sure. Where is this one from? Um, the one, the John Morrissey one I had is the one you already read. So, skip that one. We, I have Trey Hooks on episode 53 opening. Okay, I've got a couple other things on the sides here. Okay. Uh, we got an iTunes review. Okay iTunes review from one of my students last school year. Whoops. It's five stars. It says, hey, Mr. Willison. Willison? Yeah, yeah, thanks. (laughs) You really made a difference. (laughs) And his review is, my math teacher is in this. (laughs) Well, at least you got five stars for it. Yes, yes, I got five stars. Um, I'm glad he passed his algebra test. Yeah. Okay, um... Angus over on Facebook gives us congratulations on one year. Just finished listening to the episode this afternoon. That's episode 52. Here's to another year or 10. So that's pretty great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think um, we have a comment for the 14th and an email for the 12th. Trey Hooks episode 53 opening. Yep. All right. Want to get that one? Sure. Says, hey, guys, I'm listening to the opening of episode 53, and you've stated that Daredevil is the last new baby for Silver Age Marvel until Captain Marvel comes along in Marvel Superheroes number 12 in 1968. Strictly speaking, this isn't true. Captain Marvel is the next superhero to headline his own magazine. However, the Inhumans, Black Panther, and Silver Surfer all debut in 1966. It's just Captain Marvel beat Silver Surfer to a... to a solo title by about six months. The Inhumans replaced Tales of Asgard as a backup in Thor in late 67, so they have a solo feature before Captain Marvel. Your point is well made there, Trey. I actually started amending some of what I was saying after this email came in because he's right. There are there are other featured characters that start showing up. Yeah, I think we were just browsing quickly through a website looking at covers. Yeah. So that doesn't really help when it's backup stories, but... And, like, you know, Hawkeye is going to be an Avenger, so he's had his first appearance. Right, right. Wonder Man. So there's going to be characters that come in and out. Yeah. Um, Next one I have is Marvel Westerns. All right, I'll take this one. We don't do Marvel Westerns. Next. No. (laughs) (laughs) Several months ago, I promised John a primer on Marvel Silver Age Westerns, so I better get to it. Oh, because we did talk about how we don't cover the Westerns, but if anyone Uh wants to kind of, you know, talk about them some... 
And so here is the down low on Marvel Westerns from Trey Hooks. Okay. Marvel had four Western titles in 1961. Gunsmoke Western and Anthology, Kid Colt, Rawhide Kid, and Two Gun Kid. All three of the Western heroes were interchangeable drifters who rode into town and typically got into trouble. Okay. But things began to change in November 1962. So I guess about a year after the Fantastic Four started. All um, Lee and Kirby give the two-gun kid a revamp, making him Matt Hawk, timid, tenderfoot lawyer from the East, who, when trouble threatened his town or his clients, he donned a mask, turned his clothes inside out, and became the two-gun kid. From the outset, there was a school teacher, Nancy Carter, who was sweet on Matt and fascinated by the two-gun kid. So Mr. Hyde is a huge fan of the two-gun kid. Oh, yeah, because he has the inside-out clothes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's my headcanon. He grew up loving the two-gun kid. In 1963, three events happen which see Stan continue to revitalize the Western line with what has worked in his superhero books. The backstories of Rawhide Kid and Kid Colt are modified to separate them a bit and also provide different personalities. So when I was reading that, I thought he meant backstories like the backups in the mm-hmm. comics, but other backstories is in the backgrounds of the characters right. are modified to give them different personalities. Both outlaws, the Rawhide Kid is framed for a crime he didn't commit. While Kid Colt committed the crime, he just considered it justice. Ouch. Because of this, Kid Colt became more of a steely traveling vigilante, while the Rawhide Kid was the fugitive running from town to town, always wishing he could stop and settle down. Like Dr. Richard Kimball. Why are we not covering these? I'm actually quite interested now for some reason. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I might actually start reading these on the side now. Right. The second event was Kid Colt tangling with Iron Mask, a Western Doctor Doom sort, at least in looks. Iron Mask was a bulletproof bandit because he wore head to toe cast iron armor covered with green clothes to hide the armor. It's the beginning of introducing pulp slash supervillains into the Western books. Over in Two Gun Kid, retired heavyweight boxer Boom Boom Brown is introduced, who becomes the hero's confidant and sidekick. Okay, I'm less interested in that now. But maybe the Kid Colt part, the vigilante part, sounds good. 1964 continues the superhero influence on Marvel's Western titles. We're catching up to where we are. Gunsmoke Western had been canceled to help make way for X-Men and Daredevil. Aww. That was the anthology, so it's just kind of Western stories that go, it went away. All three heroes began to face villains who could be low-tech supervillains. All masked villains who wouldn't be out of place in an episode of Wild Wild West, like the Scorpion, the Fat Man, and the recurring Iron Mask. Both possessed a special talent developed to a superhuman degree. Acrobatics, hypnosis, sleight of hand, or unique weapons from a Western perspective like boomerangs. Other tricks that were being applied to the superhero line that were introduced to the Western line included the crossover between Rawhide Kid and Two-Gun Kid and the revamp slash reuse of Golden Age characters with the Red Raven being a Rawhide Kid foe who had a special Native American cloak of feathers that allowed him to glide. Wow. Now, I know that Red Raven comes back in the Silver Age. Like, yeah. Roy Thomas uses him in the X-Men, I think, or in the Avengers, maybe. Right, right. And he only had one issue in 1940, I think. Hmm. Um, but yeah, interesting. I'll pause here since 1964 is where you are as of this email. Let me know if you want more on the topic. I want more. Do you want more? 
I not only want more, I think Trey Hooks should do a podcast that's like a supplemental to this podcast. We'll throw it in our same feed, call it Make Ours Marvel Westerns or something. And and then people can follow along with that too if they want to. Trey. But we don't have to do it. The invitation's open. And someone else, and you know, Josh could do the romance because I think he likes that for some reason. <laughs> Josh Bertoni. Right. And then we'd have he the whole a, thing covered. Um, he did a, what's, um, Crap, what's Hellcat's name? Patsy Walker. Uh-huh. He did a Patsy Walker read through. Right. And so he's ready. Like so he so he knows all of like Millie the Model and Patsy and Hetty and all those other people. So there we go. Trey and Josh, I want Make Ours Marvel Western, Make Ours Marvel Romance. We'll put it in the mainstream as like a supplemental. People can just read it or not read it along right. with you. Seems fair. Covers everything. Okay, you have Daredevil number two? Daredevil number two by Trey Hooks for April 12th. I think this issue shows some of Stan's weaknesses when not paired with a collaborator on the caliber of Kirby or Ditko. This isn't a slam against Stan, but I think he really wanted Daredevil to be a success equal to Spider-Man and wanted the same tone. But a lot of the noir underpinnings of Spider-Man came from Ditko's contribution. I think we repeatedly see in the first 12 or so issues of Daredevil's run that he works really well with characters created for him but then feels out of place with the stronger villains from other books. This is versus Electro, right? Daredevil number two? Yeah. Um, I remember loving the beginning up until he starts uh, boomeranging tires and stuff. But like when he was just going to break up a, a car a thief ring or whatever mm-hmm. in the beginning, that was very moody and cool and very Daredevil. And then he fought yeah. Electro and that wasn't. Yeah, I don't think it's the moody noir elements of Ditko that are out of place in Daredevil. I think it was it was just like the character himself and some of that plotting was just really, really bizarre. Like take Daredevil yeah. out and put in the mass marauder or anybody you know, the the friggin' Matador or anybody else. And a lot of that plot was just really strange. Yeah, I remember he did a long, big chase, and there was a lot of like weird flying around in space and stuff. That's just not very Daredevil. So and like his evil sense going off, and so he turns into Daredevil. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 He needs to just stay on the street. That's where he works best, I think. But um, unlike Spider-Man, who can be both street and um, big baddie trying to kill all of New York. So interesting. I don't, however, think Stan was necessarily aping Spider-Man with Daredevil's sixth sense of evil. He liked the trope of the blind having a preternatural feeling. He gives the same ability to Alicia on and off during his run on FF. I could hear by the exasperated exhale of breath from Mike and the squeak of John's chair as he shifted uncomfortably. That was probably me, too. You guys are already wary of Stan's verbal description of how Daredevil's radar sense works. In this case, I think Stan was over-narrating because no one has cracked away of how to convey the radar sense, really. That won't happen until Wally Wood comes along. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we both hated it, but I also excuse it because we know who Daredevil is and kind of how he works. So reading that is sort of monotonous. But if you didn't know who Daredevil was, because nobody did back then, because he just came out, I could see like putting time and energy into trying to explain it to people. And while the overexposition is a little bit annoying to read from a like you know fifty years later perspective, what annoys me more is well, it's not even annoying is too strong a word, but like the fact that they hadn't figured it out yet. Right, right. And so like I'm reading this stuff that like I know that ten issues from now, not even ten years from now, but ten issues from now, this is not going to be Daredevil. Like Daredevil can't do these things. Right. Um, you think you can do these things, but you just can't, Murdoch. <laughs> so. Right. Or he'll explain it differently in 
you know, within the next 10 issues or so. He's already tapered off on that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a comment mm-hmm. from April 14th. My next email is from April 15th. Okay. I see the comment. Okay. You want to do that? So, Tim Price over on episode 52, the new 52. Ugh. Let's see. Fantastic 427. I had to laugh to myself when Doctor Strange poofed Ben and Johnny to Atlantis. Like, well, that's all I needed to do. I wonder how it all work out. Oh, well, what should I do with myself today? Maybe a cappuccino on the way home. Ooh, I could really go for a slice of pepperoni. <laughs> I want to see that happen with Doctor Strange. That's kind of funny because they also felt like they did that with Ant-Man. Like, they called him over for his expertise on small miniaturizations and different worlds. And then Ant-Man's like, okay, here's my file. See you later. Whereas right. these days he'd stick around and help. So that was kind of weird. They kept doing that. He says, uh, you know, it's a trope for some magic guy to zap others around like they're Uber, but rarely do we see the follow-up where Mr. Magic actually sees or cares if things worked out. I thought it was funny, but then strange does check out his eye crystal at the end. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's eye crystal. <laughs> The whole Reed, Sue, Namor love triangle just screams out how a man in the 60s writes about love and romance in a book aimed at kids, or specifically at boys. The men drive the action. The woman isn't standing up for herself, but in the end, she still lets the jerk down easy. It's all the ugh. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Although that was finally the issue where she at least flat out said no, finally. Right. So that was something. Anyway. Likewise for go on a few dates, time to propose. Just seems dumbed way down for the expected audience. And maybe this wasn't too different from how TV shows portrayed romance at the time. So I'll cut some slack that nobody was expecting old nerds like me to be dissecting the story 55 years later. If nothing else, it serves as a benchmark of how far we've tried to come since then. Mm -hmm. And you guys are sorely tempting me to read those Iron Man and Doctor Strange stories. But time, oh, where is the time to do so? Insert a Burgess Meredith Twilight Zone clip here. You're not reading Iron Man, though? Because that's one of my favorite titles, usually. At this know. point, it's gotten pretty good. Yeah. Some of those early Iron Mans were kooky, but... Yeah, um, once they got past the red stuff all the time. Right. It's getting a little better. Maybe about six issues after Pepper and Happy get introduced. And so much Don Heck art, so how could you go wrong? Right. Until Namor has a ponytail and tries to date Sue again, make mine, make ours Marvel. Uh-oh. Okay, so what that. I'm wondering, is Tim buying into the gimmick and these are actually things that happened? Because um, yes, the idea of fighting three Mysterios with Spider-Man or uh, Ponytail Namor both seem very like, oh my gosh, I feel like this could have happened. Did it, it happen? Ponytail Namor definitely happened. Okay. Well, thank you, Tim. Yes. One of his many looks. I think he added an earring also. but Of course he did. <laughs> I have one full year. Is that right? Yes. Okay. From John Morrissey, April 15th. Thank you for 52 uninterrupted weeks of education entertainment. No, thank you for pretending that the number 52 has any significance in the Marvel Universe. And are you aware that your podcast title has been used back in 2017 in a book? All see attached, it says, and I'll describe that in a second. All that aside, thank you again. I look forward to another 52 weeks of uninterrupted joy. Well, that's the plan, man. So far, so good. Knock on wood. Um, but he right. did attach a cover to a book. It's called Make Ours Marvel. Okay, so it's not called New 52. It's called Make Ours Marvel Media Coverage, Media Convergence 
and a comic universe. And then it has logos of like, you know, X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Thor, Wolverine, Iron Man, and Captain America's Shield. And it's edited by Matt Yoki, and that's all I know about this, but that's kind of interesting, and I want to check it out now. Yeah. But no, I did not know that. We just took a play on the whole, you know, make mine Marvel, which is kind of a, a saying. Right. So... And, like, I've had to, like, explain that to people. I told about their podcast what the title is. Like, oh, that's an interesting title. And I'm like, yeah, it's playing on a slogan from the 60s. And, uh-huh. like, for Lily, that, like, raised her appreciation for the title. Uh-huh. Like, knowing that we're actually playing on something that was there. She's like, oh, that's even cooler. So, or maybe she yeah. was just humoring her old man. I don't know. I mean, if it's just, you know, only one of us doing the hosting, we could have just called it Make Art, Make Mind Marvel. But, but you know. But it's, it's two we of had, us. We had to change it grammatically for it to work. Um, shall I read Captain Marvel? Yeah. My, since we had just been talking about Captain Marvel Amendigo as, as a new comic title coming out, that's actually where my brain went first was was the like you know 1968 Captain Marvel. <laughs> but no, this is about the not comics special, the movie special Captain Marvel. And John Morrissey says another fine episode and another enjoyable appearance by Sarah Century. They love you, Sarah. They really love you. One tiny contribution that you've probably already heard from 1,458 listeners. After the space stone containing Tesseract Cube fell into the ocean in Captain America the First Avenger, it was recovered by none other than Iron Man's daddy, Howard Stark, in the end credit scene in Thor, via a snazzy submersible with handy mechanical claws. Okay, and then that's how that ended up in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s custody at some point, and that's how Avengers, the first movie, opens. Right. Right. So uh, somehow it flies out of, you know, the fight with the Red Skull. Uh-huh. And, and it no, ends no, no. up in the ocean. Yeah. It fell into the ocean, yeah. And fell into the ocean it. with Cap and his plane, maybe? Okay. So that anyway. makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. See, I don't exactly remember the conversation. I don't exactly remember how it worked in the first Avenger. When Red Skull flies into space, does, the, does he take the cube with him or is the cube in the plane? It's... Gotta be in the plane because Howard Stark gets it out, and then I remember in Avengers they're like talking to Cap about it, and he's like, "You should have kept it in the ocean." He got all annoyed or, with them for, or maybe it flew out of the plane and landed in the ocean separately, or something like that. Yeah, maybe he dropped it on his way to space. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, in any right. case, that was Howard Stark rescuing. Yeah. Okay, good, good, who, good. Who can keep track? That's why Thanos has such a hard time with this gauntlet business. It's really hard to keep track of all these things and find them again. You read Bobby's email because it's to you. Uh, okay. Well, and it's also my turn anyway, so that works out. April 15th. Michael, you are not alone. I really think Brie Larson lacks the gravitas and charisma to play Captain Marvel. But obviously, you and I are in the minority. Say la vie, sigh. Brothers in a popular opinion. Well, I don't think we... Well, I don't know about the minority or majority, but there certainly was a lot of blow up and heat for her on Twitter. But unfortunately, I think the motivation for that wasn't the same motivation I have for saying... It didn't right. work for me. I'm not trying to hate on her or anything, but I just didn't feel it. I don't know. I actually am kind of annoyed that I'm on the same camp as a lot of those Twitter people because I find them all annoying. But, um, yeah, just didn't work for me, and it didn't work for you either, Bobby. So there you go. High five, I guess. Let's celebrate being miserable. <laughs> You're so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do want to see that movie she directed, though, about the unicorn store. That looks pretty awesome, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I want to see that, too. Yeah. Do you want to do his PS? Or should I do his PS? Oh, was there a PS? I got cut off for me. The next email. Oh, okay. 
Um, I can do that. P.S. Still loving the shows, fellow. Keep up the good work, by the way. Listen to other podcasts while I wait for this one to come back. Podcasts that are not as good as you guys are routinely asking for money and support. Maybe you guys should do something. Other dudes are doing it through Patreon. And I don't care if you keep it free, of course, but I'd support you all before I supported most of these other podcasts. And that's not saying anything bad about them. He's not the first person to say that we should do Patreon. I don't mind setting it up. I guess I'm worried that like people will then be like offended or we'll get like $3 a month and I'll feel sad about that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's either I'm worried about the success or I'm worried about the failure of it or I don't know. Well, what, what we don't really have is incentives. No. I don't think we have um, any reason for them to pay other than they're being nice, I guess. Yeah. Like you give us money. We can say thank you on the show. Right. I've thought about putting my notes document up online somewhere and people can see what it looks like and get previews of the episodes that way. But that seems a little nerdy and boring. Um, we could do like special exclusive Patreon episodes where we record topless, but that's all I got. Yeah. I can't think of anything else on Are audio you know? only, of course. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've sort of let go of the idea of doing like, a Doctor Who comics podcast, mm-hmm. but now see my podcast time is so strapped right now. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It's we an have, idea to kick around. We've thought about it, but I don't know. Yeah, I kind of like free shows too. So, right. And this doesn't really cost other than our time. I don't know what this costs me other than like the once a year registration fee mm-hmm. or whatever. Anyway, what's next? Okay. Next email is from the twentieth, but I have a comment from the seventeenth. Shall I read that? Go ahead. This is from Not Comic Special 12 Captain Marvel from Tim Price. Great discussion of Captain Marvel. Always fun to have Sarah on the show. I went on a Carol Danvers read in 2017 or 18 for her solo books on the Marvel Unlimited app. That was lots of fun. And no doubt Kelly Sue DeConnick's run won me over big time. There was so much heart in that series. A reread is called for to better appreciate it. Hmm. It's also remarkable how much of Carol's history involves memory problems. One- At the very beginning, when she gets her powers, she has a split personality. Two, Rogue steals her powers and her memories. And then three, she sacrifices her memories to stop Yon-Rog. I don't know what this means, but it's kind of a troubling pattern. Hmm. It is weird. That is very weird. Sarah, what do you think about that? (laughs) She probably already wrote an article on it. I enjoyed the movie a lot. Was it one of my top Marvel Studios movies? No, I'd put it lower in the ranking. But that still makes it a pretty great movie. So many good characters. Young Fury, Goose the Flurkin, Monica and Maria, the twist on the Kree Skrull enmity, MCU Marvel, and Brie as Carol was just spot on for me. Her sarcasm was very Star Lordish without being a copy. And of course, I have nothing to prove to you. Yes. That was pretty awesome. Do you see how you're wrong now, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not really fact or, you know, it's just opinion. It's just opinion. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, the capper is, I saw it with my 13-year-old twin daughters, and they adored it. Then, about a week later, I asked their Sunday school class, about a dozen eighth graders, mostly girls, if any of them had seen the movie. Every hand shot up. The girls were gushing in the freeze. Brie is a queen. It was shared. That tells me beyond my own tastes, the filmmakers have struck a chord with young folks, especially girls. That cannot be understated. I look forward to seeing how this film and character will be regarded in the future. Well, I did it again. I was going to say something short, and uh, yeah. Thanks, Marvel Movios. Awesome. Um, 
it's kind of indicative of the uh, the way different segments of the audience perceive the films and how they're trying to appeal to different segments of the audience. Uh-huh. I was um, I was at a family reunion recently, and one of my cousins, um, he's about my age. He did a lot of gender studies in school. Feminism and gender identity have taken a lot of space in his mind. Mm-hmm. He spent a lot of his younger adult life thinking about that and educating that and widening his perspective. And even he thought that the the scene in, of Endgame when like all the women come out behind Captain Marvel to support her, mm-hmm. he thought it was cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just something, and this is not to like, coat all gender all people of one gender with the same brush or anything just as a trend i think there's a trend in differences between you know a lot of male psychology sees things a little bit differently than a lot of female psychology does and they're trying to appeal to both of those segments and that's why maybe i think but i've also heard a few females say that they thought that part was cheesy too and they're really rubbing it in our faces now like going going too far and i'm like yeah, so I think it's just all per- personal perspective. I also think, like in the case of Captain Marvel or even Black Panther, I can take a step back from whether I grade the movie like you know a B minus or whatever, and still appreciate the impact it's having on people that are not white males like me. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I don't appreciate it for that reason because I'm out of the loop there or whatever. But like. I love that Wakanda Forever became a thing and is still a thing and people hoop and holler over it, even though Black Panther for me is lower on the list of MCU titles than other people. But, right, you know, you can appreciate that it has a powerful effect on people, even if it's not yourself necessarily. I mean, I'm privileged. So, I'm male. I'm white. If I was Protestant, I'd be perfect, you know. <laughs> Everything would be for me. But so it's okay. Um. I think it's important to remember that it's okay. It's okay to like something less and mm-hmm. see that other people like it. That Whenever I go into something and I come out of it not liking it and I hear other people say, oh, I love that. I'm like, good. I know. I'm glad that you liked this because I didn't. But that means that it worked for someone else. Me too. And I'm legitimately happy. Me too. And I don't even post on Twitter or Facebook or anything about if I like if I dislike something because I kind of feel like, what does that matter to anybody else, you know? Like, right. why do I want to drag them down? If they're enjoying something, let them enjoy it. Why should I tell them why they're wrong or, you know, quote unquote wrong? Because they're not wrong to like it. It's just really weird. When it comes right down to it, does a negative review do anybody any good? Uh, certainly not a negative Twitter or Facebook view. I think if you're legitimately like a critic and trying to be critical of something. but with And trying to, trying to cover what's out there but with like an actual thought behind it other than just a reaction, then I think it's okay. I don't mind critique, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to get that on Twitter. And I'm certainly not just going to say, Oh, I thought Captain Marvel sucked. You guys are stupid. Cause what's the point of that? Right. Waste of time. If anything, I'm jealous. Um, (laughs) So I think, (laughs) I think Kurt Greenfield's message is next on the list. Uh, Yeah. Green with evil. Yeah. And his name is Greenfield. Do you think that's related at all, or is that unrelated? Anyway, April 20th, let's find out. Just stumbled across this from a posting in the Marvel Comics 1961-86 Facebook page. Wonderful podcast. Sorry, I've been missing it prior to this. Thanks for sharing the passion. I have no idea what that group is. Is that a group you're in? Yeah, yeah, I I share actually every week to that group. It's um, it's what it says on the tin. It's 
It's devoted to the Silver and Bronze Age Marvel Comics, 1961 to 1986. And um, if you want to just go in there and like chat about that stuff, it's pretty strict on keeping it to the topic. Uh-huh. Comics from Marvel from 61 to 86. There's no reason to go into the 90s. There's no reason to talk about the later movies. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to go into the Golden Age unless it's a reprint from that time period that it, you know it, it relates. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I I'm in there a lot. It's a pretty sizable group. Awesome. It's a big enough group that there are some personalities that I've chosen to block just because. <laughs> You get enough of a population, there are always going to be people that you just are never going to see eye to eye with. So I just like, you know, bloop. But the group is pretty great. Awesome. Cool. And it's paying off, apparently, because we we scored, roped someone in. Hey, Kirk. How's it going? Yeah. Okay, I've got John Morrissey. Wasps and spiders are what now? Yep. Hello, gentlemen. I've just started listening to this episode. I'm only 20 minutes in. But I have to say that of your many, many, many jokes each week, this is my favorite. Please remember that I'd marry him in a minute is a euphemism. <laughs> that is A, comedy gold, and B, really quite insightful. Okay, got to get back to the episode. You guys are my heroes, John. <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> okay, I don't have another email until May 10th. Is that true for you? I have a comment on April 28th by Tim Price. Okay, go for it. Green with evil. That was, must have been our episode title. And the guy's name being green is just completely unrelated. But anyway, episode 54, Green with evil. By Tim Price. So the Hulk fights the FF and the Avengers in FF 25 through 26, helps out in Avengers number five, and now fights Spider-Man in number 14. In today's comics, this would sound like an event crossover story leading up to a new big comic. And with the um, upcoming change in Tales to Astonish, it kind of is. Gee, Marvel knew how to promote even in 1964. It's weird that they didn't do something similar for Namor. Yeah. Like, I don't really feel like Namor had the whole narrative thread that Hulk has had before Astonish. But well, he certainly made, made a lot of appearances, though. Yeah, but, like, he's not really going from one place to another. He's just like, no. Yeah. hello, I'm Namor. I am wearing very few clothes. Yeah, he kind of just waffles back and forth between being a king and not a king and looking to be a king. He doesn't really have a linear he path found anywhere. His people, yeah. He finally found his people off panel. Yeah. I have read... Extremely little of original Green Goblin, so it's very cool to see the introduction of the first truly mysterious villain. Of course, Hobgoblin was my jam. It's a joy to see the parallels here. And there must be something about Goblin masks that need to be kept on a dummy head. That visual is used tons. Love it. I am also a Hobgoblin fan. And yeah, there is a parallel to the whole mystery thing. I never really thought about that. Interesting. Uh, I first read through that Hobgoblin stuff just like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah. That was, what really I was, that was what was coming out when I got into comics was that whole... Who was the Hobgoblin business? Mm-hmm. Um, very intriguing. About- and I would bet the whole Goblin mask on a dummy head thing is because Ditko did it. Everybody else wants to do it. Right. I also just think the Hobgoblin looks cooler, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> about Peter and making money as Spider-Man, at least his motivation is to support Aunt May since they're struggling, unlike his origin where he was looking to get rich and famous. Maybe it's... Not a coincidence that so many of his foes wear green. Vulture, Dr. <laughs> Octopus, Mysterious Electro, Sam, and Green Goblin. Is there a metaphor, intentional or not, that green is Peter's constant enemy? That's actually pretty awesome. That's interesting. I've never thought about that. Wow. He has a lot of – he didn't even include Scorpio, which is also green. Right. Wow. All right. Sandman. Did he, say, he said Sandman. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. 
I don't mind FF having team-ups. In fact, it's downright novel. But yeah, I'm ready to focus on Marvel's first family. I'm not sure what that's in reference to. Oh, because of Avengers. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Until the the terrible trio recruits a new member and becomes the quizzical quartet, make mine, make ours Marvel. Now, I'm not sure that has actually happened, but maybe it has. (laughs) That would be weird. All right. And then I next comment is May 5th. So, yeah, I think that's it. That's the next one. Okay. All you. All righty. Let me get back over there. Okay. So, Tim Price writes on episode 55, make it gay. Uh, he says, on my early Avengers read-through, I was pretty surprised to see Zemo referred to as Doctor rather than Baron. And thank you guys for filling in that these were his first appearances. I still thought he was introduced earlier. This makes for a crazy situation where he's not around very long and then appears far more in flashbacks. Ah, the history lessons. Love it. Okay, so yeah, evidently Zemo is like baronized posthumously as far as the comics coming out. Like he's going to die before we know him as Baron Zemo. And then after he dies, at some point in the future history, he becomes relevant again. They're going to start calling him Baron Zemo. Hmm. Maybe his son gets called Baron Zemo. And so his dad is Baron retroactively. Maybe. I don't know. I've, I've never read the introduction of his son. So I don't know how that works. I guess. Although he, Oh, I have, but I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. He says the softener. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) The melter, the softener. (laughs) (laughs) And we have the submariner again. Maybe you guys have already addressed this, but he seems to be in Kirby issues only. Is it maybe that Kirby likes drawing Namor or that Stan likes how Jack draws Namor? Well, he wasn't that human torch recently. That wasn't Kirby, but mostly he's been in Kirby. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I bet Kirby liked Namor. Namor's pretty likable. And he brought him in in issue four and then just like kept using him and stuff. Mm -hmm. I recall more than once in the Claremont era of X-Men that there is some connection between Magneto's powers and telepathy. But boy, they really push it awkwardly in this issue. He controls his power with his mind. Isn't that what Human Torch does? Can Johnny send a flaming astral projection of himself? Would it be stopped by a water? It's not necessarily made of fire. It's just natural projection. Don't give 1964 Marvel any ideas, please. Right. <laughs> please, Tim. <laughs> Keep things sane. Okay. So I've been reading Fatal Attractions. Okay. And in the big X-Men 25 issue, when they lead the huge assault against Magneto, um, his helmet does not keep out Xavier's telepathy. Ah. However, what the comics did do is that Magneto's telepathic ability is enhanced by his helmet. Hmm. So all the telepathic stuff that's going on in the 60s just because it can, later on they're going to say that comes from his helmet. His innate stuff is magnetism. The helmet helps add telepathy. And then the movies come in and say, and it blocks, his, uh, it blocks Xavier's mind. I can't believe that's a movie invention. That's so amazing to me. Mm-hmm. It's actually way smart, though. Yeah. And I guess conceivably, if it enhances his telepathy, he could learn to block out Xavier's mind. But it's not just like automatic like that. I'd rather they just forget that he has telepathy altogether because it's it's really silly. But a bit, a bit. Seeing Professor X's astral self walking into the ocean just tickles me as it's only depicted as walking. Can it only move as fast as Professor X can walk? Did Professor X's astral self walk all the way to Atlantis? (laughs) 
<laughs> it looked like that, but yep. <laughs> like if it was a movie, maybe you could assume he could speed through there or something. I don't know. Yeah, floating just you know, like you can assume that there's speed if they're floating, but if they're just walking, yeah. Is the X Men Six the issue referred to in the future as established that Namor is a mutant? I don't remember. No, they think he's a mutant, maybe, so they invite him, but they don't say yeah. that he is. I don't think they actually come out and say that he's a mutant. I know that there's a lot of talk about it in the letters columns because I've read those at some point in my life. Um, Tim says, if so, I really didn't see the rationale I was waiting for. His wings are not a trait of humans nor Atlanteans, thus marking him as a mutant. What the heck? Um, um, that is the rationale. That's the only reason I can think of. He's, he's Yeah. Well, he's also not yeah. blue. It's not in the issue. It's just what you got to come up with in your brain. Yeah. I still argue against He's, that, though, because any time an Atlantean and a human have a baby, they have Namer. So that's not a mutant. That's a mule, right? Right. Anyway. Because Namorita and Namora are all Are also, also pink-hued and wing-footed and strong and invulnerable. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, until Captain America fights the Phoenix. No, not that Phoenix. The other Phoenix. Make mine. Make ours Marvel. I'm pretty sure I've read that issue. I think he's recently fought the Phoenix, too, hasn't he? That X-Men Avengers X-Men Avengers? Thing. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. All right. I have Tim Price, Double Double Identity. Is that next? From May, May 7th. 7th. Yep. Yeah. Hey, the Avengers are busy. So if you could handle this, that'd be great. Said like, oh, I did it wrong. Hey, uh, the Avengers are busy. So if you could handle this, that'd be great. <laughs> Said from Office Space. But wait, is Captain America too busy to help out his fellow Avengers? Doing what exactly? Watching Gilligan's Island or training Rick Jones? Right. Cap took Rick under his wing. Right. That was weird. It was just like a guest star and an excuse kind of thing. They did that in a bunch of solo books. He answered the phone and basically said, can I take a message? Because I don't want to do anything right now. Right. He he was off being Bucky sad somewhere. Question from Thor. Question from Thor. Is Donald Blake's cane just made of wood? Could it be busted or burned or waterlogged? Would that mess up Mjolnir? Or is the cane supposed to be indestructible too? I can't recall ever seeing that addressed. Man. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, we don't know nothing about this Mjolnir and his rules because it seems like every time we try and figure it out, they change it again. If we want to know if it's made of wood, then we should see if it weighs the same as a duck. (laughs) Right. And then burn her alive. Right, right. And then, yeah, burn, burn, burn me only at the stake as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You guys raise valid points how un-Cobra-ish the Cobra is. Wall crawling, distance weapons, hard-to-grip costumes, the squirmy trick in this issue is much better. Yes. He started out kind of just in name only. Um, yeah, if he's going to be Cobra, he needs to like, slink or something, and he finally does it after a while. Yeah. How can Thor defeat these two villains without his hammer? I guess we'll have to ask Daredevil in a few years with his cane that's not indestructible. Gives Thor side highs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hyde's clothing made my head hurt. His jacket is reversible. So one side is a brown blazer and the other side is a green Victorian. What? No, just no. Uh, until Hyde and Cobra fight Captain America wearing swimsuits... Make mine, make ours Marvel. I remember them fighting Captain America. I don't remember the swimsuits, but it's been a while. Well, maybe they weren't that eye-catching. Maybe. You would think I'd remember something scarring like that, but... <laughs> um, okay, so... <gasps> Was that the last of... Oh, we're in May now. Wow. We are Good in job. May. All right. I've got Asgardian Answers, May yep. 10th. Mm-hmm. 
This is from Emmett. Uh, hi, guys. Emmett here, a.k.a. Plague Squid on Twitter. Hi, Emmett. I love how much you support the show. I really, really appreciate you, buddy. It's 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 fantastic. Um, he says, I've been listening to your episodes since my last message and compiled a list of Thor-related questions that I could think I could help with, since I am now on 2008 of my Thor read-through. So I hope this helps. Okay, side note, I just recently started a Jason Aaron Thor read-through because of the movie coming out. So okay. I skipped everything between Simon Sin and Aaron. I'm going to assume that's okay. Oh, no. You better fill in those gaps. I do. I need to fill in. The, I, need to, I need to get some Thor core going on. First of all, the cane. Yes, anyone can lift Mjolnir while it's in cane form. The worthy enchantment only applies to the hammer itself, and even Loki can lift it as a cane. As for other people tapping it on the ground to change Dawn, that's a lot more murky. Oh, like... If you picked up the cane and tapped it to turn Dawn into Thor. Which they did. I did. They did. Yeah. There seems to be some aspect of intention when Dawn Thor changes. For example, Dawn can use the cane to walk. He's striking it against the ground repeatedly without turning into Thor. It's possible that Dawn has to will himself to change as well as let the cane hit the ground, or it may be a psychological trigger of some kind. In other words, it's headcanon time on that one. Oh, but when he first found a stick, he couldn't have known that he'd turn into Thor when he tapped it. So how do you have will for that if you don't even know what it does? Yeah. Yeah. Unless subconsciously he knew because he really is Thor, as we'll find out in 100 years. Right. Right. Or maybe Odin stepped in on that like deliberately. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of something while he was. Oh, yeah. Because it's kind of like the whole Shazam thing. Uh-huh. So, like, in old school Captain Marvel slash Shazam, Shazam comics, if he just utters the word Shazam, he changes. Uh-huh. And so whenever other people get the powers, when Freddy gets the uh, Captain Marvel powers, becomes Captain Marvel Jr., he can't say his name because he says Captain Marvel to transform because that's where he got his powers from. Right. So if he says his name Captain Marvel Jr., he transforms. Right. They have altered that to the much more sensible... It's not just uttering the syllables. It's like intent. You're intentionally casting the spell when you say Shazam. It's not just accidental utterance. Well, they that al- causes it. also they did that because he now goes by Shazam and not Captain Marvel. So right, right. Robots are able to lift Mjolnir. They don't have souls. They could possibly be worthy, so they're exempt from the enchantment. Artificial humans like Vision are an exception, since he does have a soul and is a living creature. Whether or not magic affects and or can be used to lift Mjolnir is inconsistent. In general, magic can redirect it, but not lift it. Remember when Sandu, the carnival wizard, couldn't lift Mjolnir with the mental powers Loki gave him? So maybe Doctor Strange can intercept Mjolnir, but he can't truly lift it and gain the power of Thor. Or you could argue that some magic users are better than others, because magic is sort of intangible and not measurable anyway. Right. Magic is magic is like, like that. you could just say that that what's his name Sandu cast the wrong spell. That's a good point. <laughs> Doctor Strange is like, oh, not the right one. You use that spell? What a moron! You should have used this spell. Oh, that reminds me of the um, the, the Doctor Strange story we're going to record about next week. Um, there's yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, like in the myths, magic is heavily gendered in comics in comic book Asgard. It doesn't come up very often outside of boyhood Thor comics, but Loki is considered really weird because he's a male sorcerer, and it's implied that he was bullied for it as a kid. 
Odin does magic too, but he's not necessarily a true sorcerer, since most of his power is the Odin Force, which is cosmic in nature rather than based around spells. Either way, he seems to be the only exception to gendered magic that most Asgardians tolerate, and that makes Loki's relationship with Sif really interesting to explore. She is pretty much his opposite in this. That is kind of weird. Thor seems more, or Odin seems more like a warrior who can also shoot lightning bolts versus a, mm-hmm. mag- a magic user who's casting potions and stuff. And it's weird because when you get into when you get into a lot of Western philosophy that's heavily in, uh, influenced by like patriarchal religion, um, women having magic becomes a, an evil thing, becomes a threatening force, right? And so women who have internal power, i.e. power not from God, those are demonized as witches, they're outcast, all those other things. Um, so is it, and I'm not sure how that relates to what Emmett is talking about here with how Asgardian myths treat women sorcerers, sorcerers but it does, it's interesting that, that the magic does tend to go with women primarily, not with men. Mm-hmm. All the men have all the muscles, right? Yeah, and I mean, like, Thor can control weather. That's magic. So is he a magician? But not really. It's kind of through his hammer, I guess. So it's not yeah. not the same as a guy who reads spell books, I suppose. Right, right. Balder gets white hair in the early 80s after he is killed during a fake Ragnarok. Okay. I remember him getting white hair, but he doesn't have it right now. Long story short, Odin killed him in an elaborate plan to ensure a substitute died in Thor's place while facing down the Midgard Serpent, because Odin is the true villain in Thor comics. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Balder was meant to go to Valhalla, but discovered that Hela had annexed it as part of Hell. Again, Odin's fault. He wasn't guarding it. When he saw that all the noble warriors he had killed in battle were suffering in Hell rather than living slash dying... It living it up slash dying it up in Valhalla, his hair went white and he vowed never to kill again. And that's the balder you see at the start of the Simonson run, white haired and newly escaped from hell. Now that you say all that, I remember all that happening, but I had forgotten the stories. Hmm. Um, okay, we need to remember that Odin is the true villain in Thor comics. That's oh, our, that's our oh, mantra. For oh, now. yeah. We know that. We know that. The matchup between Loki and Doctor Strange is a little contested. I haven't read enough Doctor Strange to know his general power level, but I can tell you that Loki's is pretty uncertain. The current incarnation of Loki is a reality warper who can pretty much do anything he wants as long as he can make it into a good story. However, when he took the mantle of Sorcerer Supreme in recent years, he did it by trickery and didn't face Doctor Strange directly. This modern Loki is also not the one who appears in Thor from 1962 to 2008. He is the ascended form of a copy of that version. What? So they have a new Loki since 2008. Okay. The old one isn't god of stories and presumably doesn't have reality warping powers. It's useful to note that this old version of Loki isn't Sorcerer Supreme of the Asgard dimension. Amora the Enchantress is. He's generally shown to be weaker than Carnilla the Norn Queen as well. So Doctor Strange probably has a real chance against him. Well, he's got a new amulet and cloak, so Loki better look out. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. As they follow up to my last message, the JMS Thor run mentions that some Asgardians are considered higher status and have powers that the common folk don't. So they're all gods and goddesses, but some are more godly than others. Is that like 1984? No, no, no. Animal Farm. Animal Farm. Everyone's created equal. Some are just more equal than others. <laughs> that JMS Thor run is actually really good, too, until, per usual, he disappeared. 
I think that's right. his MO. He just stops writing and goes away. And then like all these, all these things that he left open are, are disappointingly closed, but oh well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Bad news and good news. Bad news and good news. May 11th by John Morrissey. Gentlemen, I've missed you. It's been a busy month here in the old Marvel room, so I have been forced to stockpile your last four episodes. That's the bad news. The good news is that I now get to binge four episodes of your wonderful podcast. And John, just a few moments into the first of the four episodes, uh, just first of the four, episode number 54, you've already outdone yourself. Although I always enjoy your intentional mutilation of Ben... Benedict Cumberbatch's name, Benihana Cabbage Patch, is by far your funniest to date. And that's why he does that segment and not me. Uh, <laughs> and I agree with you both. I am pleased to see the arrival of the playful jabs taken at the letterer on each issue splash page. This has to be the work of Stanley because they are always either funny or alliter- alliterative or both. I always wonder if it's the letterer, but I don't know. Yeah. So until Dirt so until Dirter, so until Daredevil once again slingshots a car's engine with a car tire, that's what happened. Make ours marvel. Yeah, I hope that never happens again, because that was stupid. <laughs> it was dumb. Oh well. Alright. Um yeah, I've been having trouble coming up with uh Doctor Strange names lately. That's okay. Oh, running out. Uh okay, make ours marvel, Carl Burgess versus the Evil Empire? Yes. Okay, John Morrissey writes us on May 12th. Gentlemen, I'm as guilty as anyone for celebrating each cameo by Stanley in the latest MCU blockbuster and for mourning his recent death, all the while mostly ignoring all the artists who co-created all of these beloved characters with Stan. But after listening to episode 57 and your uncertainty concerning who Carl Burgos was and what he was doing in the Silver Age of Comics, I feel the need to let you know that he, like many other artists was busy losing a lawsuit to Marvel at the time. While Stan Lee, the face of Marvel, was becoming a multimillionaire, most of the artists who shared in the creation of the universe that we all cherish were wallowing in near bankruptcy. According to Carl Burgess's daughter, after he lost the lawsuit against Marvel for the rights to the character of the Human Torch that he helped create, Carl went out to their backyard and burned all of his comics that featured the Human Torch. This is sad. Yeah, he could have been a millionaire. That is true. <laughs> Is it weird that, like, selling copies of his own comics would make him more money than, like, actually making the comics did? <laughs> well, it's kind of sad, but it probably would have been true, yeah. Stan Lee was a genius, whom I will defend with my dying breath, but he did not create the Marvel Universe in isolation. He was aided by the skills of a number of artistic geniuses, none of whom died as multi-millionaires, as did Stan. Steve Ditko, who co-created Spider-Man and Doctor Strange with Stan, and who died about a year before Stan was dead about two weeks before anyone even noticed. Okay, do we know that Stanley is a multimillionaire? Because I never really got that impression, but I don't know. He doesn't get, like, creative royalties from Spider-Man and Fantastic Four and stuff, does he? Um, He's not, like, an owner of them. Marvel's the owner of them, and he worked for Marvel as an editor. So did he well, get he that kind of money? Point, he- at one point, he was the head of Marvel. Okay, so you're like, yeah, but you're getting money for that job. What I'm asking is like, if a Spider-Man movie came out and he didn't work on it as like a producer, like he usually did or whatever, does he get royalty checks because he owns Spider-Man? He doesn't own Spider-Man. No, but I think I, I think there is some sort of income. Like he, I have no idea what it was, but he left Marvel because he didn't need to work there anymore. Like, he had enough money. Right. 
Um, and he did other comic stuff after that just for fun. Yeah. I guess my point is though, that he wasn't like pulling creative control or creative, uh, ownership out from under these other guys that he was working with. He doesn't own Spider-Man or Fantastic Four or anything like that. Well, maybe not in 2012 he wasn't, but in like 1972 he was. He was getting royalties for use of Spider-Man? I was saying like... No, he was making money because he had a higher position in the office, right? Right. So I think... If I I understand what you're saying, if I understand what you're asking. So Carl Burgess, as an example, is is saying, hey, you're selling all these Fantastic Four comics. I helped create create the Human Torch. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting any money off of this. Mm -hmm. Marvel says, well, yeah, because your contract didn't allow you to get money off of this. And Carl Burgess says, well, I think that like by business ethical right, I should be getting money off of this. Mm-hmm. And then sues for a like like a new business agreement to be signed so that he can like have a right to part of the money coming in. That's kind of the nature of what Siegel did. Siegel Siegel went to suit against DC not because they weren't owning up to what they said they would pay him, but because he wanted a cut of all the money they were now getting based on his work. Right. And they refused him to have that cut. And I guess and Stanley is the face of Marvel. And also Stanley is like publicly claiming to own these characters and publicly calling okay. himself the creator of the Marvel Universe. So that's my question. If you put Spider-Man on a lunchbox, does Stanley get a check? I don't know. Because if he does, then yeah, that's really messed up that he get, he's getting creator credit and other people aren't. But if he's making a lot of money because he was the editor-in-chief of Marvel and he's doing all these other things and it has nothing to do with like control of a character that he only co-created then i don't know i don't know if he's getting money for that but i have but no if stanley idea goes if stanley goes to um like a college lecture circuit in the 70s uh-huh. or tv shows in the 80s or whatever and he's like you know when i created these characters you know they were all you know, well yeah he doesn't give credit to steve ditko and i think that's part that's part of it is that like whenever joe public thinks of the creator of Marvel characters, there is one name they think of. Mm-hmm. And that is Stan Lee. Right. And that's a pro and con because you could also say that Stan Lee made comics cool. He very much did doing that same thing. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that he didn't give people the credit they deserve. But certainly if it was left to Ditko's devices, like nobody would care about comic books right now. Because right. that dude was a shut-in. <laughs> um, he says, going back to the email from... This is John Morrissey. Uh-huh. He says this nod to Carl Burgess on the splash page. And again, in the final panel of the torch story of strange shells, 123 was way too little and way too late. Just as Marvel needs to be embarrassed by the representation of women and non whites at the time, they need to be forever ashamed of their exploitation of the artists who provided the visuals that they are now using their billion in their billion dollar movies. I applaud both of you for commenting on the art and artists responsible for each issue that you review during your wonderful podcast. I wish that these genius artists had been given half the wealth that Stan accumulated following their co-creation of the Marvel Universe. It is kind of funny, though, if you think about the billion-dollar movies, like, whether you even think they're owed or not, like, if you just took the 30 people that were involved in helping create that movie on a comic book and gave them all a million dollars, that would be nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like, here you go, guy who wrote Ultimates. Here's a million dollars. That means nothing to me because <laughs> I just made a billion. So here you go. You could live the rest of your life comfortably. Well, maybe not with a million anymore, but still, I'll take a million and do something with it. Uh, John Morrissey, thank you from May 13th. 
I think so, yeah. Okay. Can it be? Is it possible that my favorite podcast just got even better? Yes. Yes. It's not only possible, but it happened. I was so happy to hear your announcement at the end of episode 57 that you'll be announcing the issues to be discussed in the next episode. Isn't it lame how it took us 57 episodes to realize we should do that? Um, <laughs> although I have been reading along with you since episode number one, I also had to wait until after the episode was released to find out which issues I needed to read, but not anymore. Now I can read the issues before the episode drops. Wonderful. On behalf of your many faithful listeners and fans, I thank you. You are welcome for the homework. Yep. Homework yeah. for everybody. Homework for everybody. If we have to do it, you have to do it. Um, my next message is blank, so I don't know what happened there. Maybe, but it's your turn anyway. It says, Talking of Wasp. Yeah, and oh, he hit enter too quickly. Oh, I see. Uh, because the next one is Talking of Wasps and Spiders. Okay, there we go. Okay, this is from that dork without a podcast. Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. I just listened to Ep53 and decided to ask a question related to the spider wasp story guest starring the inferior giant man, which is, do you think there could have been more? A fun rivalry between Janet and Peter, like the one Peter had with the torch, because of these heroes are kind of young, headstrong heroes who also have somewhat snarky personalities during battle. So to me, it always seemed that maybe they could have done more there than just going, oh, I'm going to be mutated into an actual wasp in the 90s, so I better start hating that spider as a proper wasp shed right now. <laughs> That's not a bad point. Like, isn't she supposed to be younger? That was one of the things Hank didn't like about her is how young she was. So she could relate to Peter. Not that anybody knows Spider-Man's a teenager, but like they could be both like young hotheads together. Yeah. Yeah, they could. And I mean, she's of age, but that's I mean, he's a high school senior. So they, they're still close in age to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm, su- I'm surprised that never really came up in anyone's mind. Although I'm also kind of not surprised because Spider-Man like, you know, keeps to himself in the comics so much. Mm-hmm. But they bring human torch in. They could have brought Wasp in. They could have. Maybe, honestly, they would not have known how to handle the Wasp outside of her romance with Hank. Yeah, and a boy and a girl can't be friends in 1964, so that's not going to work. Especially a teenage boy. When Harry Met Sally told me that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, He goes on to say, anyways, always enjoy the show. So until Electro travels the multiverse to collect an army of Electros that then fight an army of spider people... Make mine, make ours Marvel. Also, I see my computer says message sent. So if I sent an incomplete message similar to this one that you guys get before this one, I apologize. Not sure what happened there. Well, it's all downhill from here. Yep. Too late. We already outed you. Yep. Okay. Um, I've got some side stuff before May 18th. Okay. Bob Manoilovich over on Facebook says, just found you guys. And this is the first podcast I've listened to. Really? Wow. wow. We are somebody's first podcast. That's, That's pretty great. cool. He says, loved it. Coincidentally, I recently started my first ever complete Marvel read, beginning with Fantastic Four 1. I'm currently at April 1964 with Fantastic Four 28, Daredevil 2, Amazing Spider-Man 14, etc. And he posts panels in the uh, Marvel fans uh, 61 to 86 group on Facebook. I know Bob Manoilovich from way back. Um, I got into Star Trek books in the early to mid 2000s and there was this website sci-fi.org but spelled like the greek letters p-s-i-p-h-i uh-huh, i remember that and it was this website full of star trek books it was a star trek books database and um gosh i was i was on there from before lily was born because i remember um 
remember specifically at the job being excited about Lily's, you know, impending birth and everything. Um, anyways, and they had a bulletin board back when bulletin boards were still a really common way to socialize on the internet. And Manolovich was on there. So, I mean, I'm not sure that we were like ever like, like real good friends on there, but like we saw each other, we responded to each other, we talked to each other. That's cool. And now he's on the listen to the show. The internet's so such welcome, a small Bob. thing. Glad to have you. Yep. It is. Yeah. It binds the universe together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to read the email from the... Well, I'm going to skip all the ones that say episode 58 is not working because that doesn't help us. And it's working yeah, now. Yeah. But... Uh, it is working now. John Morrissey, episode 58, tidbits after we fixed it. You guys get funnier each episode. Thanks very much for another episode. Enjoyable show. I have two... Di- tidbits to point out that you didn't mention first you noticed the brand of gasoline in journey into mystery number 107 it was marvel oil but you didn't mention the brand of motor oil advertised on the billboard that giant man rolled up into a huge megaphone it was stan dick motor oil presumably in recognition of stanley and dick Ayers. well awesome i mentioned it i i mean i i noticed it but then i decided you know for time constraints i shouldn't mention it take the 10 seconds to to measure to mention it um <laughs> second after reading the first appearance of the Grey Gargoyle in Journey into Mystery Number 107, I still don't know how long his stone effect lasts on his victims. Dr. Don Blake seems to think that it's 24 hours, although I don't know how he knew that. Um, he's a doctor. My confusion is <laughs> caused by the top of page six. After robbing a jewelry store, the Grey Gargoyle says the, to the stone proprietor, Do not fear, my friend. My stone spells last for only an hour. 60 seconds from now, you will be normal again. Whoops. Oops. So apparently just 60 all around or something. Um, so how long does it last? Is it 24 hours? Is it only one hour or only one minute, 60 seconds? I guess we'll have to wait for his next appearance for an update from Stan. Maybe it's intention, like the whole hammer thing. Like, it's however long he wants. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Or they just don't know how things work. I don't know how things work. I'll, I'll be honest. Okay. Comment from Tim Price from May 16th. Um, oh, okay. This- this is from the episode Tweedle Beetle Puddle Paddle Battle. Okay. This version of Beetle was actually my first, which is pretty wild because it was well before I started collecting. Maybe my school had the Spidey Super Stories issue with him as the villain. If so, I think I'd remember better because it also features Ms. Marvel. Wow. I have no idea how many times I've thought, I wonder if Doctor Strange ever fought Loki. Not knowing it happened back in 1964. It's amazing to me how many of these strange ideas the Marvel gang did so early. This may sway me to read some strange tales after all. Um, Careful there, bud. I want to go to the board. (laughs) Just, you know, watch your step. We still have like seven to go or something. Yep. Boy, that FF story was a whole lot of huh. And the ending is the biggest head scratcher, but I finally get it. Uatu could have sent the FF home when he first finds them in his house, but he thought... Maybe they'll just behave themselves. It's okay if they watch my TV and snack from the fridge. But no, they start another giant fight with a bunch of monkeys getting hair all over my stuff. That's it. You're out of here. Uh, better not let on. I'm annoyed because I do not need their drama. Um, yeah, you FF people is so important in things. They're now kicked them back to a cruddy part of town so they have to walk the rest of the way. Maybe they'll take the hint next time. They walk to the passive-aggressive watcher. He kind of is passive-aggressive, isn't he? He, he, he really kind of is, and I kind of love that read of him. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want Craven's specialized tusks utility belt? <laughs> Crave rings. Crave, Crave lockpicks. 
<laughs> crave shark repellent. <laughs> crave mini costumes that expand in water. My favorite. Uh, Thanks for more laughs. Until the Watcher kicks Wolverine out of his house for tracking moon dust in. Make mine, make ours, Marvel. You know, this whole gimmick we're doing, like, it's kind of interesting that I can't figure out when they're right and when they're just making something up. Right. Because that literally could either be just a joke or or uh, actually something that happened. I could believe it either way. Okay. Um, I've got some more side stuff that I'm just going to get to go through here, if that's okay. Yep. So over on episode 48 on May 18th, Bob says, This is a real fun podcast to listen to. Lots of time spent on Daredevil number one and deservedly so. The disappointment in the giant man wasp story is so entertaining. Listen, this makes it worthwhile reading these early duds. And of course, the substantially entertaining Ditko Spidey issues are always fun, especially the iconic unmasking by Doc Ock. What fun these podcasts are. Thank you, Bob. Mm -hmm. Um, Angus thanks us for, he says, I'm pretty unfamiliar with the owl. It didn't know that he came this early in Daredevil's run. Really glad to hear your guys' analysis of him. And... I can't get this thing to scroll. Okay. Corey Summers writes a recommendation. So glad I found this show. Just found out about it. Have a lot to catch up on. These guys are fun and enjoyable to listen to. Which reminds me, we also got an iTunes review from that same time frame. May 23rd, Adam525. I started reading Marvel Comics in the mid-1970s, and I've dug through most of the series covered here. This podcast is a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Adam, for that iTunes review. Yeah, thank you. Okay, what else do we have? Hootie and the Blind Man. Hootie and the Blind Man. From Tim Price on May 24th. I think maybe we should just tackle May and then call it a day. What do you think? I think so, too. Okay. May has turned out to be a pretty, uh, yeah. pretty intensive month. Okay. So episode 58, Hooting the Blind Man. I assume that's about the owl and Daredevil. I know that Journey into Mystery issue. I know that Journey into Mystery issue. Why is that ringing weird to me? Oh, like I know it? Okay. But this yeah. is my first time reading it. It was adapted into the Marvel superheroes cartoon starring Thor. And I saw that in reruns as a kid. That happens to be, too. Those, like... Did you, ever, did you watch those or ever watch those? Those really cheesy, horribly bad animated? I didn't watch them when they were on, but I have gone back and watched a lot of them. So sometimes it's like, did I read that Thor comic or did I see that Thor comic? Anyway. Yeah. And uh, the Grey Gargoyle was pretty scary back then with his stone touch, even though his costume is kind of ridiculous. Like, why did he make claw feet? Sure. It's handy to climb buildings, but does he do that all the time? And he also looks really dumb wearing that costume when he's not a gargoyle or a gray gargoyle. But right. anyway, my first real gray gargoyle story was in Avengers 190, although he only is revealed at the very end. Never read the second part of the story until a year or so ago on the Marvel Unlimited app. This was a long wait to read how that story ended, although I really enjoy Gigi's appearances in Amazing Spider-Man 219. Um, now I need someone to explain this. Uh-oh. In the beginning of the story, Greg Gargoyle says his stoning lasts for one hour, but Don Blake says he can't change back to Thor because the effect is 24 hours. One, I don't see how Don even knew that, what the, what the time limit was. Again, he's a doctor. Two, why is it so far off? Did you guys cover that? It's got to be a mistake, but anyone who wants to, to no prize it, feel free. I think we did talk about how it was kind of random, but... Or inconsistent. I don't think I noticed. Maybe I noticed the 24 hours and the one hour thing. I did not notice the 60 second thing. I think we didn't notice the 60 second thing. Uh, the Daredevil story did sound interesting, but I. What do you mean? You didn't read it? But I agree. The crime part would be better than the super 
fighty fighty. I know they explain owls gliding eventually, but it's a huge stretch from the science side, so better to just go with its comics. From the Netflix series, I recall Kingpin killing Leland by throwing him down an elevator shaft. Such a happy-go-lucky scene. <laughs> I, <laughs> I recall that Marvel's too, but Netflix Daredevil. <laughs> I recall that too, but I also recall him not having a body, so he could still be alive, except they're not doing the show anymore. So whatever. Happy go lucky. Yeah, dang! You had to remind me of that Ultimates Hulk versus Giant Man Giant Man fight. That was a vicious scene. Shudder. Ultimates also made Hank's size changing difficult. A difficult thing logistically. No resizing costume. No shrinking and growing moment by moment. He gets big. He's got to stay big. And a primo target for an insane super strong monster. Brutal stuff indeed. That was pretty fun. Until the Hulk gets microversely small and falls in love. Make mine, make ours marvel. I know that one's true. I know that one. Me too. All right. Uh, We got a couple more on the 31st, but there are a couple of emails. Um... So we were having problems with episode 58. After we got him uh, figured out, John Morrissey wrote, um, thanks for contacting me directly. Let me know it was fixed. I know I've said this before, but thanks so very much for the hours, no years of entertainment and education. You're enhancing the lives of so many strangers, such as myself, with what you do via your many podcasts, that your entrance to Valhalla is guaranteed. Wow. And Michael is your best co-host to date. Yes. Yes, I am. I don't know how the two of you manage to serve as each other's straight man, but you do. <laughs> Yeah, neither one of us gives in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Michael is definitely the straight man here, though. <laughs> uh, the uh, the synergy between the two of you is magical, and we listeners are the grateful recipients of your product. Awesome. Thanks again, John. Make all of ours marvel. Um, NCS 13? Yes, May 26th. Mm-hmm. Mr. Kaiser, I have a bone to pick with you. Before listening Uh-oh. to this episode, I thought that Avengers Endgame was fantastic. I've seen it four times. But then what happened? I listened to this episode and heard your thoughtful, insightful, objective, and reasonable criticisms about the film, and now I'm not sure that I would love it as much as I do. One thing that you and I can definitely agree on is that Silly Thor, as seen in Ragnarok and all subsequent MCU films, is just that. Silly. Thanks, Michael, for so many points to consider. Well, I'm sorry about that. Um, like Like we were just talking about, I don't like just throw out stuff on Twitter to try and bring people down but this is a show where we kind of have set it up to where we have to talk about what we think so right i had to talk about what i thought i actually really didn't want to of all the movies we've covered and all the stories we've read and stuff like i really kind of didn't want to talk about endgame but there was sort of no getting around it it would have been really weird for us not to but uh i wasn't looking forward to it and then it ended up being okay but i knew i was going to be a negative nelly about it I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, you came off as, as insight, like, like, like what he says, you, you've thought about it. These are thoughtful critiques and things that just didn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. I, I want to see it again someday when it comes out somewhere free, but mm-hmm. I've only mm-hmm. seen it the one time. So we'll see. Maybe I'll change my ideas. Um, I have episode 59 is too funny for words. Yep. From John Morrissey. This might be our last email. Is it our last email? Um, nope. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hello, fellas. I've just started to listen to episode 59, and I'm not sure that it is safe to continue. Why not? Because I just might laugh myself silly. I've listened to you cover half of the first issue, Sergeant Fury 9, and I've already laughed so hard that I think I've read something important. John, you must control your passions. They will be your undoing. 
Really? Michael started with his gem, quoting Lady Pamela, you're not gay, Pinkerton, because it's 1964. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be outdone, Johnson added, you know, if Hitler and Worf kissed, their mustaches wouldn't touch. (laughs) It was at this point that I laughed so hard I nearly drove off the road and died. Guys, please, for my health and for the safety of all your listeners, please try not to be so funny. Well, when you put it like that, it seems pretty awesome. (laughs) Good Lord. Oh, okay. Um, That's pretty great. Thank you, John. I have some May 31st, two May 31st comments, and then I think May's done. Yep. Uh, And I have one more thing on Facebook after that. Okay. So from Tim Price, May 31st, not comic special Avengers Endgame. Oh boy. Getting into the Endgame. Another enjoyable show, guys. My own little thoughts. The Hawkeye Black Widow dilemma. I really, really hated Natasha dying. Really. But from a story point of view, I had to agree with it. Clint as sacrifice was motivated by despair and fear. Despair over losing his family and fear that if the plan didn't work, he'd still be without them. Natasha as sacrifice was motivated by the hope that the plan would succeed. And knowing that Clint's family would be heartbroken that he was gone and they need him in the changed world. Even though losing Natasha might have seemed like the opposite, this gave the whole team hope which they needed to win. I'm down with that. That's a cool idea. I think my feelings were in that zone, but I didn't have the words behind them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that works really well for me. Like, I would so much rather... And they could have told the story differently, of course. Um, but the story that they told... Yeah. 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 And he goes on, and I sympathize, Michael. I call Black Widow Scarlet Witch all the time. And the reason is simple. The actress for Black Widow is named Scarlet. Marketing fail, I'd say. Not questioning the casting, though. Love Scar Joe as Natasha, and I hated seeing her die. Did I mention that yet? Thanks for sharing. Catch you next time. That's true. Her name is Scarlet. Maybe that's why I do that all the time. That's a good reason. It's not because I'm mental. <laughs> um, almost wrapping up with uh, Let's Go to the Circus from Tim Price. You guys nailed it. Amazing Spider-Man 16 was a stealth issue of Daredevil. Ditko does a fantastic DD, and so cool to see those heroes met so early. Was it me or did the story imply Didi was already well known, even though he's had very few adventures? Who took pictures of Didi for others to recognize? Does Peter Parker have competition in the hero photo-taking stalking world? I love the idea that someone is stalking superheroes to like take their photos. Yeah. Like that guy at the end of issue 19 of Spider-Man who became the Scorpion? It's hard <laughs> to figure out Betty's and Peter's relationship. They don't say it in the story, but I wonder if they're going on dates between issues that we're not seeing. That explains things a bit, but it'd be better if the stories supported it. Right. Both Betty and Peter and Hank and Janet. And those are the big two for me. Like, Mm -hmm. give me some dating. I could see Don Blake and What's-Her-Face having never dated yet or whatever. But those two talking about engagements and stuff. Come on. If we saw them going out, if we saw them sitting in a diner sharing a soda, Uh like once on panel, then we could assume that this happens. Yeah. Go to the movies. As it is, he's like... Yeah, he shows up at work to walk her home sometimes. That's as much as we ever get. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have questions about the Ringmaster's hat. Tim, we all have questions about the Ringmaster's hat. Daredevil resists because he's blind. Can someone with bad eyesight resist too? Maybe someone in the back row? I can barely see what's happening. Why is everyone down front getting quiet? What's that mustache guy saying? What if they just close their eyes? Right? What if they're talking? What if they're on their phone or not on their phone? 1964. What if they're just like talking to the guy next to them because yeah. that's what you do at a circus? Well, wearing sunglasses, would that matter? 
I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it matters if they're polarized or not. Yeah. I think Marvel missed a golden opportunity for a new group of villains, the Masters of Mustache. <laughs> Ring, Ringmaster, Mastermind, Mandarin, a malevolent man whiskers making mayhem. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, that would be fantastic. I'm sorry, but Sergeant Fury sounded meh. I don't know which one it was in that issue, so yeah, sure, why not? In the Avengers, I didn't mind the two Thor villains because they're more powerful than most of the team, making a pretty good challenge. Hey, how does Zemo eat through that mask? Is he evil because it's itchy? The mask makes no sense. He should just not be alive. It's just weird. Right. It's weird. He should be suffocated by now. It should be like a face shape. If it's glued to his face, it should look like a face. That too. But also, how could he breathe through it when he's just glopping with glue all over his head and stuff? I don't know. It's just weird. Right. It's weird. Until the Enchantress assembles an all-women team, make mine, make ours Marvel. What if it's only glued to, like, his forehead? Yeah, and then he can lift it up to eat. That kind of works, I guess. Yeah, what if it's, like, it's glued to, like, a very small portion of his head, and it really just drapes there, and he doesn't want to, like, have it removed because it hurts so much? Yeah, like, down to the nose, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't either. Okay, and we are going to wrap up with one, one comment, and Daniel, we're no longer friends. Uh-oh. Daniel Doherty posts, paste pot Peter Parker. Oh, no. Daniel, what have you done? <laughs> Just made it worse. <laughs> he puts it in quotes. He might actually be quoting us from the episode, but I don't remember saying it, so I'm going to blame Daniel. Yeah, that works. Let's blame Daniel. Yeah. Okay, but Daniel Doherty, I continue to appreciate all of your uh, shares of our Facebook posts. Like, every week you're doing that, and I really, really appreciate it. And I think that's going to do it for this feedback episode. Oh, yeah. That's good. We're in June now. Yes. Which is great for August. <laughs> right. I guess we better do another one. But Last time we were at the beginning of the year, so I think we're making headway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll try to do another one of these next month. Um, and I guess go listen to the episode that's up right now. Uh-huh. Um, is that going to be 70? Is that going to be 70? If we get it out by next Friday, yes. it'll be 70. Well, we have to get it out by next Friday because otherwise we ruin our streak and are miserable. Right. So, yeah, episode 70 and this episode will be going up at the same time, um, which you can find at MakeOursMarvel.com. I won't do the whole spiel, but in terms of how to get a letter into us, yeah, MakeOursMarvel.com. There's a contact us link. You could fill out that form or you can just email directly podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. We do really appreciate all the feedback we got tonight and have gotten in the past and will get in the future. Um, we like to read it all, comment on it, learn things, change our minds, uh, especially correct omissions, things like that. I really like that sort of thing because I haven't read every issue of Marvel yet. So Yeah, fix us we get it wrong, add to the conversation, tell us about continuity stuff that we've missed that like ties into the stories at hand, mm-hmm. um, or just your reactions to the stories that we are covering. All of that is is pretty great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll be here um, next week for more fun and games with comics. There may even be uh, an X-Men Origins Wolverine episode up next week, um, if all goes according to plan. And, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.